I still believe, and I do believe that now that, you know, sports book is out and everybody's competing into, into it, it's a very crowded space, that the value of the fantasy user is, is starting to resurface. And fantasy is being that conduit into the coveted sports user that feeds into the rest of the ecosystem. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear episode 46 of the Betting Startups podcast featuring Brian from Owner's Box, who are bringing new innovations to the world of fantasy sports. For this one, we also roll out the red carpet to welcome Dan hannigan Daly in as a guest host who does an awesome job giving us the full arc of the Owner Box story. This was an awesome discussion between two fellow Canadians, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I did. But before we get started, I wanted to make sure you heard about the Betting Startups newsletter, which is the easiest way to keep your finger on the pulse of the industry's early stage ecosystem. Every month, we summarize the headlines from the industry's most promising startups and deliver it straight to your inbox. Subscribing takes 10 seconds, it's completely free, and if I'm being honest, it's a total no-brainer. Head on over to news.bettingstartups.com and subscribe now. All right, we are back with another episode of the Betting Startups Podcast. And for this one, we're welcoming another guest host to take the reins, which is none other than Dan Hannigan Daly, otherwise known as DHD. And Dan, you and I first met probably about 10 years ago, back when we were both closer to the start of our respective journeys in this business. So it's a personal privilege to be here now, welcoming you onto the podcast as a guest host. How have you been keeping it since we last chatted? Definitely been been keeping busy. Yeah, it is. It is kind of crazy to think about uh, my time at BCLC and PlayNow.com and the first online regulated sports book in, in North America, way way back when. Yeah, I think we've both gone on pretty in- interesting journeys over the past twelve years or whatever it's been, <laughs> to say the least. But it's all culminated up to here and now, which is with this podcast. So for this episode, you chatted with Brian from Owners Box, which is doing some really cool stuff in the fantasy sports landscape. And given your background, I found it to be a really authentic discussion. And wondering if you can tee it up for folks listening and preview the episode for us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Owners Box, our Canadian-based daily fantasy sports company. They've gone through numerous iterations, couple pivots, some tough timing with COVID and whatnot, but are really starting to find their feet now with their new products and go-to-market strategy really hitting on all cylinders. So yeah, hopefully it's a really an interesting and exciting segment for the for the group of listeners. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you jumping in, DHD. You did a fantastic job. Already looking forward to inviting you back at some point in the future. But for now, let's get into the episode with Brian. Welcome, everybody, to the Betting Startups podcast. I'm guest host Dan Hennigan Daly, otherwise known as DHD, filling in for Jesse this week. Currently, CEO of a sports data and analytics company called Sports Info Solutions. With me today is Brian Kipp, CEO of Owners Box, a DFS company. It's certainly a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I mean, worked at DraftKings for just under six years prior to my time in SAS. Brian, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. I'm glad I could be here for your inaugural podcast. Amazing. Yeah, so let's let's start with a little bit about yourself. How did you get to Owner's Box? Tell us a little bit about your background as an entrepreneur, you know, operating in Canada as well. We'd love to hear a little bit about the story. Yeah, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for my whole life. I think I started my first company in high school, 19 years old, IT company. Um, I've been in IT my entire life. That's my background. So uh, started then, you know, had some some bumps with the sole proprietorship, which is a single person company here in Canada. But, you know, that's how you learn. 
And, you know, I spun that one into another IT company um, in Brantford, Ontario. We did SMB consulting and implementation. But yeah, really leveraging my background in education, which kind of put me in a position to assess the landscape as it pertained to the advent of the cloud and the abilities for companies to start up, you know, very quickly and inexpensively with, with cloud-based technologies. And that kind of was the, the turning point. I've been playing fantasy since I was 16 years old. And, you know, we had a really robust group of friends who used to participate in that. And we looked at it and said, hey, if we combine these two things, our technology backgrounds and our, you know, what we had done from the administration on the fantasy side at that point in time, it was Yahoo, the Yahoo platform that we played on, you know, combining these things, we could really make a go of it in the fantasy industry. So, you know, very, very confident at that point in time that we could do it. But, you know, throughout my early 20s and mid 20s, you know, evolved with a couple different companies before we started Owner's Box, companies that provided uh, software as a service, that ultimately got sold to Ernst & Young. It was a fi- financial services product. And then at that point in time, I was ready to say, all right, let's go Let's go all in on this with, uh, with Owner's Box. And that was probably 2011 when we first got kicked off with the initial version of that. So very entrepreneurial, willing to take the risks. You kind of have to have those personal characteristics in order to do that. We, we formally started Owner's Box in about 2011. Amazing. The first version of, of Owner's Box was really a, a stats and scores information app, if I'm not mistaken, sort of similar to the score up here, Ernie ESPN. How did, how did you evolve that into the daily fantasy product that you have today? Like, kind of walk me through that the evolution or the arc of, of the organization and a couple of different pivots that came throughout that timeline. Yeah, when Owner's Box first started, it was to address an issue in the market for the integrity of season long fantasy and put paid, you know, get users to confidently put payments on, on platforms with people they didn't know. So that would, at that point in time, it'd grow your, your, um, your player pool between individual users from your friends circle to beyond, you know, pretty much anybody within North America who wanted to play the same type of fantasy sports that you were. That was the the idea. We had all sorts of rules and plans that are still applicable today that would apply to, to improve the experience in season-long fantasy. But, you know, we raised the money really quickly out of the gate with those ideas um, in 2011, and we realized very quickly that what we raised wasn't enough. <laughs> so... We uh, we were still working to compete with the, the DraftKings and the Fandoms at that time, or that was but really, bef- you know, DraftKings and Fandom were just emerging at the time. It was really yeah. to compete with Yahoo, right? Okay. It's like yeah. Yahoo was the predominant, uh, the the dominant one at the point in time, and um, we said, hey, we can do a better job of this. But you know, we, me and my co-founders, we were still doing our day jobs, and we had we hired some developers out of Ottawa. Uh, which were remote to us, we kind of went down the path of building these things. And we found out the amount of capital it would take just from the content perspective, like buying real-time stats and information. And like, in order to produce a high quality product, we needed a lot more capital than we had. So we did pivot into a sports information product. Um, And we worked on that between 2012 and 2017, um, released three different versions of what we'd call the score and player owner's box score and player tracker app, which got a a great amount of users. It was geared towards fantasy users, but platform agnostic so they could follow their players 
get real time status information, like whether the players are playing or not, you know, this, the standard player news through RotoWire. And then we added a layer of more uh, detailed information geared towards fancy users, like starting, starting goalies, starting five in NBA, starting pitchers so that the user could really get a well-rounded idea of what the, any of their playing players on their player rosters were doing at any point in time. And it was, we were one of the first ones to use push alerts from a technology perspective to distribute information if, if users were following a player and that, that kind of evolved that platform, the foundational platform so that we could, you know, bring in real time information, parse it and deliver it to clients. Right. Um, primarily through app and, and, and web. And that really set the foundation for the next phase of the company. Very interesting. Yeah. It reminds me quite a bit, actually, of, of a product called DK Live, which I think yeah. has formerly been Sunset now and sort of semi-integrated into the into the DraftKings application. But it sounds like you guys were a little bit ahead of the curve on that. Did you have pretty good penetration or were there just stumbling blocks getting that in front of the, I guess, enough users to make it worth your while? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I think uh, we had it at peak about 50,000 users um we struggled with monetization right um at that point in time you know you could use in-app advertising or you could use which was in its infancy as well at yeah. the time um you could use subscriptions for premier content through the app stores and stuff like that but really you know what what's your revenue expectation there you know you'd really need to scale in order to justify the operation under those conditions and we didn't you know we we, we didn't go specifically outbound to raise the capital that we'd need to grow that product. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a deviation from where we initially started, which was a fantasy product, but it did position us really well for, you know, pivoting back to a fantasy paid fantasy product, which ultimately we, we decided to do in 2018. Right. Yeah. And it obviously like gives you that, I don't know, pretty interesting foundational backing of a, sports scores and stats information. It is interesting. I am sure you look back on this periodically, just the, the timing of all of the events. Because if you had a, an audience of 50,000 customers that are coming in to look at scores and participate in some level of fantasy research, like that's a pretty promising affiliate business probably today. Uh, well, that was the big thing. We were a year late, right? We were a year late. Like, right. So we're actually interested in republishing that platform in one way or another with our current roadmap, because we do feel that it adds a lot of value to a certain generic sports user base that can serve as a funnel into our paid products and, and otherwise. So, you know, like you say, DK live was there. I think conceptually it's great execution wise. Ultimately we're trying to think a little bit bigger with our, our medium term roadmap from an integration perspective. Fair enough. That makes sense. So yeah, fast forward to 2018, Owner's Box 2.0. What were the problems that you were looking to solve? Obviously at that time, DraftKings and FanDuel had emerged as, yep. as either market leaders on the fantasy sports or DFS side anyways. Sports betting was just now becoming a, a, a bit of a thing anyways. I was just launching in, in New Jersey. Like, how did you come to that pivot? What were the challenges that you were, you were trying to solve there or the problems you were trying to solve? And Walk us through to, to where you are today, I guess. Yeah. So obviously my passion was with fantasy. So I wanted to stay in the fantasy space and ultimately pivot back to it. And, you know, in 2018, we said, all right, how do we do that? 
we built up this technology, which was very capable. It was like the, a foundation for us to rapidly build off of. And that kind of set us up to, all right, well, what's the product? What's the product at that point in time? And we said, we didn't want to compete directly in the daily space. We obviously wanted to have a higher handle or revenue generating product than what uh, season long fantasy would afford. So we came up with this idea of weekly fantasy sports, wanting to effectively define a segment within DFS or between DFS and season long. So we came up with the weekly fantasy sports, very simple, take the impulse paid nature of DFS, integrate it with the social and management sticky aspects of season long and put them into seven day contests and do that for the four major sports. So that was the idea on the surface. It seemed like something ultimately that we could succeed in that there'd be a market segment that would be interested in that. And, you know, so we, we rallied our, our shareholders at that point in time around that idea. They were, they were interested in it as well. And we kind of kicked things off here. Our, our operational base is in Kitchener, Ontario. So we got our office in August, two. 2019, ultimately, when everything came together, we started growing our team and building the first prototype of, of weekly fantasy sports. So we, we did that successfully over a very short period of time, like four months. We had a prototype build, included live draft and all the gaming components on top of our platform. We had a full go-to-market strategy, and we were ready to hit the market for uh, a Series A so we could raise some go-to-market capital. And that was March 24th was when we were ready to do all this and go outbound. And that's when the NBA decided that the pandemic was a big thing and they had to pull their games, which set off a cascading effect on the entire industry, which basically had some negative effects for a couple of years. We knew that any fantasy platform or gaming platform that relies on a stable sports schedule would be compromised going through this exercise. And nobody knew how long it was going to take, you know, until we got back to normal. And at that point in time, being an entrepreneur, being in a young company, having employees, you're like, okay, can we even survive this phase? And fortunately we are able to do that. We had some, we have some very committed people within the company and, and funding the company. And we were able to get through the summertime and then ultimately, release into a relatively fractured 2020 sports season. I can certainly empathize with the challenges that that fractured sporting calendar created, you know, certainly from a, from a baseball perspective and matter seven inning double headers and whatnot, shortened season and all of that makes it incredibly challenging. Just think of relying on a week, like ours was a weekly product. So just think on a user relying on a schedule and then two thirds of the schedule getting canceled. And then that was the first season that the NFL moved games outside of the Thursday to Monday period. So when you look at being an operator and a game gets moved from Sunday to Tuesday or to Wednesday, your technology had to have the foresight to be able to build that in and effectively handle that in an ongoing circuit. So, so it's just, it just threw a bunch of curveballs that weren't, you know, they weren't, in the best interest of rolling out a new product and trying to get users to learn something new when the game experience couldn't be supported. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's certainly in it's uncommon territory. Tough <laughs> but it's for everybody. It was for everybody. It's really, it's really yeah. Large to say the least sports, obviously massively impacted from that. You know, sort of, sort of speaking to that, I know that the owner's box platform has a bunch of pretty interesting capabilities with the weekly supported, daily fantasy supported, you've got snake drafts, 
where do you think or where do you see fantasy broadly fitting into the entirety of the sports entertainment, sports prediction, sports betting, whatever, whatever classification you want to throw at it? And where does it fit into that, into that ecosystem? And I guess at a more micro level, where does, where does the orders box fit in there? And in what problems are you going to look to solve now and into the future? Yeah, I think fantasy is a key part of the gaming vertical overall, right? Alongside sports book content, iGaming Casino, fantasy is the one that kind of cultivates that loyal user base. And if you look at the um, the umbrellas that are forming or the verticals are forming in the space with the larger companies, they're trying to have products, sports-specific products that cross over and meet all of their users' expectations within their ecosystem. And I do think fantasy it is, is the one that produces the most loyal, the most loyal user base. I mean, if you look at what DraftKings and FanDuel did to kick off their sportsbook offering, they leveraged their large fantasy audiences. You know, there's a large crossover there. I still believe, and I do believe that now that, you know, sports book is out and everybody's competing into, into it, it's a very crowded space, that the value of the fantasy user is, is starting to resurface. And fantasy is being that conduit into the coveted sports user that feeds into the rest of the ecosystem. So I do believe, like, Owner's Box is a paid fantasy-focused company. We want to create products that you know, are new, innovative, and inspire fantasy users to participate. And then, you know, what what we can do with them, what potential partners can do with them, and the value of those users increases. But the, the goal is for, for our company is to really create products that speak speak to the fantasy user and kind of regain focus in, in into that specific segment. Yeah, that definitely resonates with me. And I know, you know, there's sort of that, sports fan daily life cycle for lack of a better term where you know the research and the fantasy elements you know partake a, a pretty sizable piece of that of that story of that routine so you know i definitely think there's there's something to be said there seem a little bit biased fantasy very near and dear and to my heart well people it's still like the truth like People still like to manage players. They like that. They like the feeling of selecting players, having players represent them in in competition. And you know that's that obviously was initially inspired by season long. But there's still elements that in in in, in DFS, right? For for a good portion of users, they still get to feel closer to their sport, closer to their specific players by playing fantasy. And you don't necessarily get that with the other forms of sports entertainment. Shifting gears a little bit, obviously we're relatively early on into a, into a new NFL season. No shortage of, of crazy stories already, which is great to see. How has the start of the NFL season been treating the team at Owner's Box? Undoubtedly busy um, and with some new product. I'd love to hear about those. Very busy. So I think we kind of left off in our journey talking about the launch of WFS. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's been a couple couple of years since since that fall off point. And, you know, we have pivoted as a company into, into the products that we want to offer the marketplace. So, you know, driving into high handle, high frequency contests that are really designed to, you know, participate in the daily market is ultimately what we we decided to do. Last year we went through the NFL season with a 
beta version of our Superflex DFS, you know, very basic concept salary cap, similar to the traditional salary cap that DraftKings and FanDuel do with a, you know, just a, a simplified roster, which includes a Superflex, so pretty much any position can fill it. Um, and we had success with the, lim- the limited marketing spend that we had. Users liked it. So, you know, based on those results, we said, let's double down in this area. Let's start scaling this area. So we kind of went all in. August 18th this year is when we published uh, our NFL slate with our 2022 uh, DFS offering. In addition to a new type of product that uh, we've created, we call them impulse products. They are single player fantasy. So the users play uh, not against other users, but against the house um, in fantasy skill-based contest types. And the the specific product that, that, that we launched is called Lightning Lineups. The idea of this this type of contest is low barrier entry, so very easy to understand. You know, we found a lot of challenges trying to educate on what weekly fantasy sports was and get the yeah. user over that hump. And, you know, we, we'd get reviews of users saying, what, what the heck, this isn't DFS, <laughs> like, you know, bad review, bad review, bad review. But when it comes to impulse in these types of games, you know, low barrier to entry. The goal is to get users in more generic sports fans into these types of competitions, foster crossover between, you know, these lightning lineups products and our DFS products because they're really synergistic and how we approach. But the concept is very simple. It's kind of like a slot machine with fantasy sports mixed right. together. And that's, I know it's probably offside in using that uh, that comparison, but it really is. So our system randomly generates three three-player lineups as a basis. They're all very similar in terms of what their projections are or the outcomes or the projected outcomes of each of those lineups. The user goes in and they say, all right, I think this one is going to be the one that accumulates the most fantasy points. They pick it or they select it and then they put a wager on it. And then they follow through the normal fantasy process of kind of watching it unfold live on the website or the companion mobile app. It's a different way for them to engage with their sports. And it's the first impulse game that we've launched. It's had some pretty good success in the first four weeks of NFL uh, as we sit talking about it today. And we're really looking to scale that alongside our DFS product. And then based on even its early success, the intent is to start um, building out additional impulse games that fit the similar type of mold. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely played around with lightning lineups a little bit. I love just the, the ability to participate in, in fantasy, obviously. Um, so, so hitting on some of those core tenants of, of, you know, leaning into the fantasy point structure and whatnot, able to participate within a matter of seconds and get in, get in and get out. And we can do it for single game slates or multiple game slates. Yeah, definitely, definitely super compelling there. So I'm curious, have you, have you guys thought or figured out what the next path is, or are you sort of relying on the data to determine where you go with uh, impulse games as a category, broadly speaking? We're just kind of analyzing the early results and determining. So there, with that product line specifically, we can do two things now. Um, we could potentially do them in parallel, depending on where we land is design new games like that immediately or try to improve the ones that we have. It, it's been in the marketplace for a, a few weeks now. It's been getting good results, but there is obviously with any product, you can iterate and evolve, uh, evolve it. And so the last thing you want to do is take something that's working and make it more complicated. So I'd say right now that's still up in the air with us and our product team because there's many other things that we're working on as well um, from a product perspective. But the 
expectation is that within the short term, we'll be working on additional impulse type products. That's great. Good to hear. Shifting again, I know you guys have a, a pretty robust and a bit of a differentiated strategy with respect to creating content. That's a relatively new area. Walk us through how that came to be, what what the sort of designs are from a content perspective and, and paths forward there. Yeah, I, I think as we, we've all witnessed, content is a very valuable category within the overall vertical. You can see big deals being done by the big players with big cuts. Like when you talk about, you know, pen and bar stool, that's, I think that's the, the flagship that we can all look at that originally kicked this thing off. And it was basically for user acquisition, right? The audience is already being spoken to on a regular basis. And, you know, now get that direct access to that audience. So producing content that users love to absorb is important and growing out your, your social presence in the society that we live in, people are on their devices, on their social products and networks for record amounts of hours a day. So those are our, that's our audience too. Like we have a very successful YouTube podcast, our, our YouTube uh, video broadcast that we do for each of the four sports. We do TikTok, we have Instagram, Twitter presence. And then one of the emerging things that are that you know, us and our competitors in the past have done very successfully is using Discord, like funneling users from the social channels down into a more immersive, engaging platform, such as Discord, where you have direct integration uh, and access to those users. And it's a, it's a two-way feedback loop, right? So um, I do think there's a tremendous value in investing in that. We have very, we produce very high quality content for both the fantasy and the sport, general sports and sports betting networks. We're in the process of turning the corner on monetizing all of that right now to make it go from a cost center into a profit center and a revenue generating center. And there's many different ways to do that. Um, and then really being a startup that we are, it's also our marketing and brand awareness arm. So in-house, we have the ability to produce this high quality content. It gets our brand into the, into the market space. And, you know, it drives users to our platform, creates that brand awareness. So there's many different angles you can look at content and content creation and to have a capable one that is, that is growing the audience all the time is, is invaluable if you, if you trade it properly. So we love what we're doing with content. We've invested in it for two years now. We're at a point in time where things are starting to come together and it's being externally recognized. We typically outpace our competitors in the space in terms of audience views uh, across our social platforms. So um, we'll continue to commit to that. Right. So you've got Daily Fantasy Sports and Superflex, which I think is super compelling, lightning lineups and content. Yep. Uh, Obviously, there's a cost associated with that. So I assume you guys are on the fundraising path. Where are you at from a fundraising perspective and sort of even taking a step further than that? Where do you see yourselves in two years, three years, five years time as this yep. fantasy sports, sports entertainment ecosystem continues to evolve? Yeah, I mean, through through the journey I've described, I think we're we're at a point in time now where with our early results, with some of the things that we've done in the past, we, we've proven our product market fit. Um, we're starting to get with strong retention numbers and we're actually looking to scale. And when you kind of pivot from that initial introduction of product into, hey, how do we take it a very strong core audience with great unit metrics? 
uh, into the next level, you got to start scaling it. So we are in the process of raising capital. That's primarily growth capital. It's our intent to really drive our user base from what it currently sits to about four or five times what it is prior to entering into a series A, probably in 2023. And yeah, so fundraising in a startup, especially in this space, it's kind of like a it's an ongoing process until you yeah. until you reach a, per, a certain point. And I think we're at that pivot point. So to raise that growth capital, we're actively doing it now. If anybody's listening who is very interested in this space and wants to take advantage of it, please reach out to me. But it, it's it's necessary and executed properly. It's going to take us to that next level. Um, from a product perspective and where we ultimately see ourselves going, as I mentioned, we're pretty we're focused on the fantasy space. There's lots of things that we can do and our options within our roadmap. I spoke about the sports information platform republishing that. There's many beneficial reasons to do that. You're obviously hitting a larger audience. There's search engine optimization and general exposure that can funnel users into our paid products. Um, we want it to be the central location of all of the content that we're producing. So a content hub, allow users to interact and get data from a, a fantasy product side, kind of DK live. Um, we already do that in certain elements based on our, our past platform, but really growing that and, and making it a prominent part of our product offerings um, in order to grow the user base more holistically. That's one of our options. We're also, of course, just like everybody else, entertaining some of the other product types that are, are that currently exist in the ecosystem. So props. You can potentially stay. So props. I don't know if we're going to do that. There's always yeah. that that appetite that says, hey, how can you start rolling out sports book yourself? That's also in conversations that we've had, but really short term, really grow the fantasy audience, the the stability of the fantasy business with consideration to all other aspects of the business. But we do have many options based on the platform that we've built. We can be very uh, robust uh, in how we want to start tackling our product roadmap. Amazing. Sounds like a, a super exciting few months or years ahead for sure. Appreciate that. So yeah, wrapping up. Last question. Very, very broad. You can take it any way you want from me is what gets you excited every day, Brian? It's a grind. Being an entrepreneur, it's a grind. And when you've put in like, I've got 10 years into this more, more realistically though, focused about three years, seeing the evolution of the product, evolution of your team. And once you've gotten it to a point of we've made it this far and we're taking it to the next level, that's what excites me. You know, the next few months of our operations is going to be very indicative of where we sit, at least in the short, short term. But I, I do feel that we've, we've done what we've needed to, we've done it diligently. You know, we're a compliant operator we've set up the foundation to do every everything correctly in order to be able to meet this opportunity to scale and what excites me is reaching that hitting that 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 ultimate pivot point one day where you say all right this is where we've turned the corner it was worth all of the the toil that we've gone through in order to get here all of the ups and downs as an entrepreneur and, and ultimately getting to that destination and we look at it one step at a time right so the next stage is that stage and beyond that of course we all have designs on making it a much bigger brand and a much bigger product um, bite size take everything in and manageable bites there you go 
Yeah. Sounds like a modest amount of sweat capital, to say the least. <laughs> uh, I think that might be it. Well, sometimes I don't like to say there's been that much because yeah. you know, there there has been that much, but it, all, it really walks all the time. <laughs> yeah, which is, I mean, we're at that time period of the right. football season too. Well, Owner's Box is a great brand. It's a great name and, you know, it, it can fit alongside the ones that are currently participating in the marketplace for sure. That's great. Well, thanks, Brian. I really appreciate your time. Uh, That'll do it for today's podcast. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Dan.